Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 268, Save the Children, recorded January 15th, 2017, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only show on the internet where geeks rant. That's right. Only here. This is golden stuff. This is one-of-a-kind, unique stuff. Three nerds talking about stuff they're passionate about. Doesn't happen anywhere else. Trust me on that one. My name is Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Chris. No, wow. I fell into to just a rote uh, mode there. Uh, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Ossigeneer Wakeham. Hi, gentlemen. Peanuts in time cost a dime. That's what I should have said. Now I thought of it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> And nobody has a clue what that was referring to, and that's awesome. Wow. Oh, I don't know. This sounds so profound. <laughs> the uh, the randometer on my desk here just broke. It's That was so random, it's actually off the scale random. Um, You've blown my mind, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> What's yeah, the- well, it was either that or get something off jet, one of the two. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I want Sorry. to just jump into... Uh, quickly uh and say i survived the blizzard of of 2017 i know you were worried about that uh, as i was commenting before uh, seven days ago uh, i was iced in literally unable to leave my driveway in fact monday morning the day after we recorded last i pulled out of the driveway um uh which goes uh, my driveway faces east and west I, so i backed out which was going east i turned the car 90 degrees north and promptly began sliding south uh, and so about nine hours later, I was able to get enough thaw to move my car out of the ditch that I had slid off into. Uh, so, uh, now seven days later, it's 75 degrees outside and I actually have my air conditioner on because it's so humid. Um, I'm not sure if that's global warming or just South, but, uh, Seth, I, I, I'm sure you dug out and everything's okay. Right. You didn't have to, you weren't forced to eat anybody, were you? No, I mean, but, you know, we live at the top of the hill, so it takes a lot of ice before I'm worried. I just <laughs> stay in and burn my fat. <laughs> we actually ran out of firewood and, and took to burning old Amazon Prime boxes <laughs> because we have so many of those. It's almost like having a supply of firewood. You know, I'm doing everything in my power to hold back the gloating over here. Yes, you're out by the pool. Somewhat. <laughs> Somewhat, Yeah. Yeah, talk to me in, in June when it's 115 degrees and you can't even walk outside. Yeah, I'm not going to be here then. No, I'm getting out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So I, I just wanted to say uh, uh, a follow-up on something that a listener sent me. I'm pretty sure I read it on the air. Um, and I can't remember who it was. Sorry, but you'll know. Uh, a listener turned me on to a show on Netflix. It was a sci-fi channel slash Canadian uh, production uh, called Dark Matter. Uh, two seasons are on Netflix, and the third season is currently running right now on uh, Science Channel or Sci-Fi Channel. Um, and it was the the premise was a crew of people wake up on a starship with no memories, and so they're forced to interact in a world that knows more about them than they would know about themselves. Uh, I I just want to say I really liked it. Uh, I am about halfway through season two now, maybe not quite halfway. Um, Season one was good. It was solid. Season two took a very different turn, and I was pretty sure there was a shark being jumped by about the third episode, but they recovered nicely. Um, and so 
uh, I'm I'm enjoying it, and I it, you get my um, my Opie seal of of recommendation if you want to check it out. Uh, Dark Matter uh, on Netflix. Uh, again, you gotta you gotta know that you're either going to have to wait until you know ne- the season three ends and it gets on Netflix, or you're gonna have to you know do that thing called torrenting where you can can get it either way. But um, well, you can also on the Sci-Fi Channel you can watch like the current season i think on demand okay on on their website so um you know i don't know exactly how they do it but you can see it from their website at least some of the current season yeah so uh i i recommend it and also uh i mentioned travelers a couple of weeks ago said i'd only seen the first episode and was really uh excited by it i've seen a couple of more now i'm not just burning through them um it looks like they might be falling into the monster of the week um problem and and I really do, I don't like it when when shows do that, which is so common. Uh, but it's it's got my attention, so it's a it's a it's a not a buy, not a sell. It's a hold. You know, if you started watching it, okay, but I'm not going to enthusiastically recommend it. You know, but if you watched um like the series Stargate, you know there was the initial thing against the Gould, but then for the most of the first season, it was just a it was kind of a monster of the week. Yeah. Has you got the characters and the universe established, and then slowly they slow played the um, the Guaul bringing them back, and then that became the overarching thing of the first what seven or eight seasons. So you know the the monster of the week could just simply be for character and world building. Right. It's just it's a tired trite way to do things, and after forty years of watching television, I'm tired of it. But I understand that there's a reason for doing it. It's an easy way to world build, like you said. But, yeah. you know, the the first season uh, of, well, no, I'm not even going to go in there. But anyway, uh, it's worth it's worth paying attention to. If you like Eric McCormack, um, he's, his touch is all over this. He's not only the actor, but also the producer. And you can just sort of see his hand, his humor, his his style uh, on it as uh, as you go. And so, Seth, you, uh, you sold your bit miner, but now it says you're back into bit mining? Yes. Well... I I bid on an S7, which is like I had the S4. It was two theta hashes and apparently 10 gigawatts of power a second to run. And, uh, you know, I sold it because I, you know, just a lot of power and a lot of noise. And then I bid on this one on eBay. And then I was outbid and I realized it's a good thing I'm outbid because I didn't want to spend that much money. Well, then something happened to the bid ahead of me and I got reinstated as the high bid and... Per the thing I bid on, if your rep was less than 10, you were automatically canceled. But I wasn't, so I ended up buying it. And luckily, he was in Dallas, so I saved the shipping and drove up there and picked it up. And so, yes, my uh, S7 is uh, mining at just like 2.7 theta hashes and is runs at basically a third of the power. So I am back plummeting the depths of the Bitcoin mine. So have you fired it up and it's running? Oh, yeah. And you actually see... You know, what, uh, how long has it been running? Um, I started it last night. I picked it up yesterday okay. and then I started it last night. So you don't have any sense of uh, income yet, but it should be I mean, what? 10 times or so what you had been getting? No, no. Cause I was running it too. This is at 2.7. Oh, okay. I it's, mis- it's made mis- more than a dollar, but the thing is this actually produces more than the electrical cost to run it. Okay. So. Not enough to ever pay for what I spend on it, but, you know, enough to 
justify keeping it on. And that's if Bitcoin loses a little bit of money, I would still come out ahead. You got to be careful with those eBay type auction sites because, you know, I've, I've oops bought quite a few things in the past. Right. Uh, like, you know, I, I'm really kind of glad I got outbid. Uh-oh, I'm the high bidder again? What happened? Yeah. That's exactly it. You know, that's exactly <laughs> it. Uh, so, Miles, you uh, you have some some uh, pop culture to reference as well. And it's I, was, I have seen the ads for this too, and I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah, the um, TV show Hunted that I, I think I mentioned it last year on an episode that I've been watching the UK version. They did two seasons. I just finished the second series, and uh, it's it's a sort of a it's it's a reality show, but it's a little scary because what they do is they have this uh, team of government empowered hunters who can use all of the uh, weapons of the state, like uh, surveillance, uh, triangulation. They can hack your social media, read your emails, all the stuff that you know sounds like an Edward Snowden thing. Um, these guys have been given the option to use all of the techniques that they can use as well as psychology and the media and so on. And then you've got, I think, 10 or 20 contestants that are out there trying to survive 28 days on the run. And if they survive it, they get to take a share of, I think it's $250,000. So typically what you'll see over the course of the series is that from episode to episode, one or two will get caught, and it'll dwindle down to a to a few that may be left. Um, so, yeah, the UK show was very interesting, but I always thought in my mind it could never really work outside of the UK because they're kind of a bit of a CCTV surveillance state place, and it works in that in that world. Well, lo and behold, CBS are bringing it to the US, and it's starting on January twenty second. Um, and it looks to be an authentic remake of the UK one. So, uh, I've, I've dialed it in. I'm going to watch it. Sounds interesting. Yeah. I'll add that to my shows on my, on my various services. Cause yeah, it does look interesting. Um, and also, uh, the, the wild ride of the Bitcoin has at least slowed down a little bit. Thanks to China having some sense. Well, maybe the media, um, you know, I, <laughs> You'd, you'd said it right last week. The media over-reports things and creates sort of hysteria. Um, and when one, one person reports one thing, then you find out later that, no, actually, that's not exactly what was said. Um, China has kind of gone in and not stopped Bitcoin mining, not made it illegal, not sent, you know, a fear of God into everybody. What they've done is they've gone into some of the exchanges that were playing in the um, sort of speculation market where they were offering services where people could trade like options trading on Bitcoin. And they've pretty much gone in and said, look, you can't do that. We're going to regulate you. Um, so that's a good thing. It, it keeps the volatility down. We were seeing these major uh, swings of volume in Bitcoin uh, uh process transactions over the holiday period and most of that is probably just robo buying or it's speculation buying on option trading and we don't need any of that right now it needs to be just settled get the thing steady and then let's just let let it play its course out normally so consequently the price is what 826 right now and it's been stable i don't know for the last 72 hours 
pretty it's pretty solid yeah i think uh we'll edge back up toward that thousand and then there'll be some panic selling and then some you know we'll start all over again but uh, i think it'll probably be well into the year before we start to see a rise into the thousands that's just just my gut really i don't have any math to base that on just with my understanding of human nature more than anything else yeah well, I, I would the, i would hope that you know it's to me i like a slow and steady incremental thing i don't like peaks and troughs and big swings and you know booms and busts that doesn't work for me right like and it does it's not good for an, it's not good for an investment and it's not good for a currency for sure right yeah and i what the spike up what that meant is this next difficulty that the um the blockchain incurs i mean it major digs down how much money my bitcoin miner is going to be producing so hopefully um the one after that will kind of ease it back up because it was just like i was i looked at the next difficulty that's coming and i went dang it's like over a 10 percent hit and um, normally, it's only just a little bit one way or the other. So hopefully, it'll come back down because that speculation has kind of worked its way out. Well, it's, it's a- so it's so good that we've got a real Bitcoin miner in the crew here, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I'm always like, what I do is I go and you know, like I look up and then I I see how much money I've made and or how much how many how much Bitcoin I've made, and then I look at the current price. And see what it's worth, just you know, because I may only want to know. But the system is designed to be, you know, a hockey stick setup where it's going to each each increase in difficulty is more than the previous increase in difficulty. Well, it no, it's designed to kind of keep the um, the the blockchain flowing at a steady pace because I've actually seen it where the difficulty has actually went down. Instead of up, because I, I don't know, I guess it was moving too slow or too fast or something, and they wanted to reverse it a little. So, but, and usually they've just been small things, but this was a humongous move, this one coming up in a few days, and it's an, it's going to be a noticeable hit um, on the, uh, I mean, you know, my, my miner's going to be doing the same amount of work, but it's not going to be worth near as much. Um, I just wanted to say uh, one other thing. I I had watched this week, uh, courtesy of Netflix, uh, Idiocracy. Um, Mike Judge. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one. It's an old. Yes. It's an old movie. I had never seen it, um, and it was one of those things that people. Uh, it was kind of like Mighty Python. If you haven't seen it, you miss a lot of culture references. Um, and so I decided to watch it just for you know, sort of doing my due diligence as a a connoisseur of pop culture. And I just got to say, um, the current election cycle reminded me far more of that movie than I wanted it to. Yep. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, Electrolytes, baby. Got what you need. <laughs> it's, it's what plants crave. Um, yeah. I, I'm not saying I recommend going and watching this movie. Uh, it's probably one of those, like, say, Napoleon Dynamite that gets better the more you watch it. I, I'm willing to to uh accept that or maybe not better but the more you talk about it the better it gets with other people um i will probably watch it one more time after i you know kind of get the sour taste out of my mouth of it uh but it's it was it was frighteningly um possible i'll put it that way and and you know i i want it to be completely impossible but i don't i don't think that it is 
No, I'm right there with you. Black Friday is coming. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so that's enough about that. Uh, we don't have any mini rants, as he, uh, i.e. people from um, uh, emails from listeners, because I forgot to go put them in the notes. Uh, but I do have some right here in my... I, I, I did want to read one thing from uh, Will. So if you'll remember when... Uh, just forgot his name. Uh, the, the, the millennial episode was in reference to, we sort of have a, had a conversation between an email and a live co-host, right? Um, right. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure I've mentioned this before. Uh, I, I'm just going to take this moment now. I, I have a, a short circuit in my brain. I've had it all my life with, with misplacing nouns, uh, proper names, but just nouns in general. Uh, and, you know, I will say something, you know, I'll point at a, a hammer and say, hand me that donut. And in my brain, I thought I said hammer there. It's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a form of aphasia. I've had it all my life. I'm really struggling tonight with anything nominative. So just bear with me because I'm, I'm really having a hard time pulling things out of the air and I'm going to say something even more stupid than normal. Um, but anyway, I wanted to read from Will, uh, his rebuttal to our rebuttal. Uh, and then I think we're just going to let the whole millennial thing die. But, uh, he had some salient point here, points here that I wanted to read. It says, hey, guys, I'm back to make my response to your response to my response to your rant. All in all, I would say I agree with most everything you said, except for Mark's comments on paying for college. I would more agree with Seth. It's possible to get out of college without debt and without a trust fund, but not nearly as easy as it used to be. I graduated a year and a half ago with $42,000 of debt. For two years, I worked two part-time jobs while going to school full-time. And for the other four years, I had a paid internship that paid more than both part-time jobs. I kept one of the part-time jobs. I didn't go to an expensive university. I went to a local public university, not the one closest to home, but that would have allowed me to continue to live at home, but because it was much more inexpensive, even without the room and board. I had scholarships, both merit and need-based, and they didn't cover very much. Sure, I didn't go to community college to start, but this uh, that's because I knew that uh, what I wanted to do in a new new community college would have only gotten me the first year of classes and would have saved me much money. I don't regret getting loans at all. I think many millennials are averse to getting them because they think that they'll have a huge debt hanging over them for years after school. There's a solution to that, though. Don't get loans unless and get a useless degree. If you get a useful degree, then there's nothing wrong with loans. After paying off the car I, uh, I bought to get me to and from my internship, a used budget coupe I spent $8,000 on, I was able to stay on track and pay off my loans in a little under three years. And why is that? Because I got a degree in aerospace engineering, not gender studies, um, and proceeded to get a well-paying job. Uh, I didn't try to increase my standard of living after school. Sure, I could have paid my way 100% if I'd went to school part-time and worked three part-time jobs, but I would have spent a lot more overall, mostly because my scholarships didn't cover part-time schooling, and I knew that I would be able to pay off the loans quickly. To the younger ones listening, you may be starting college soon. Sure, if you don't know what you want to do or going to get a degree that is mostly the same anywhere, go to a community college and save some money. Maybe even think about not going to college at all. Get a job that can support a lower standard of living and start doing some research and trying some stuff out. Job shadow, intern, whatever you have to do to find out something that you can do. But if you already know what you want to do and it's more a specialized thing, don't just go to school because it's the cheapest and you need to pay, you need to play the long game. Go to the school that will get you the best return on your investment. It doesn't mean you go to Yale, but maybe go to a, choose the public university on the other side of the state or over the, the community college over the community college down the road. Get a degree that sets you up to succeed, not one that sets you up to fail. 
And that doesn't mean uh, only get a graphics design degree over fine arts degree, but also go to Penn State for the degree over DeVry. Uh, it means uh, taking out, if it means taking out some loans or spending some more money, uh, so be it. It will set you up to find a better job. Maybe not in the location you want, but that's where you need to be flexible. Don't turn down a job because it's more than 20 minutes from your apartment. Be open to a long commute or a big move. You can always move back once you have more experience. Thanks for the show, Will. So there you go. Any comment on that, guys? Good job, Will. It sounds like he's got his head screwed on pretty straight. I, re- I remember when I was thinking about, you know, we were, I sat down with my daughter and we were trying to work out what college to go to. And my accountant actually had this really good way of explaining it. He used the term a hard degree or a soft degree. And what he meant by that was that if you knew exactly what you wanted to go into and it was a, a profession that required specific training and you needed to be on the right track, from day one, so it'd be like medicine or law or or accounting or architecture or something like that. Um, he called that a hard degree, and you would go in on it on the best college that would get you to the end point that you wanted to. And then we use the term soft degree when you don't really know what you want to do, but you have to get a degree just to be able to participate in society. And you know who knows what you're going to end up studying, and you. I guess you apply uh, an economic judgment between what the cost of, of a college that would be best suited to a hard degree is versus the cost of what a college would be to a soft degree, and you don't overpay for a soft degree. Um, I don't know. I he forty two grand of debt. If I okay, so let, let's sort of just a b that a little bit. If I had forty two thousand dollars of debt. And I was willing to put in, a, I'm, I'm sure he probably put in some of, of his own money on this as well, because 42 grand would not get you anywhere through college, right? I mean, that would be well, he the said leftover. Working jobs, so. Right. Okay. So you've got some capital and you're taking on debt. Um, if he had bought a rental property with that, then uh, based on the current rents, based on the low interest rates we've got at the moment and so on, he probably could have been cash flow positive, maybe three, four hundred bucks a month on that, on that investment. But that could have leveraged him to a second, third, fourth, fifth, a hundredth, uh, property. And by the time he was 30, he probably would have been a millionaire. That's speculation, but that's one way to utilize debt as a way to make money. Would you get the same value of that debt in your degree in college? Well, it comes down to how much money you think you're going to make over your career and whether or not you're going to stay in that career. And I guess you just, I mean, I look at everything from a simplistic economic, you know, compare option A with option B, what looks better, what do you feel better with, there's your solution. And if people take a pragmatic, you know, economic approach, they typically come out the right way. I have uh, a... heard some sound advice i thought was don't get a don't pay more for a degree than you can expect to make at the job you get from that degree four years later so in your fourth year of the job you should be able to in, uh, equal in uh income the sum total of everything you spent in school so uh will's example he's going to he could be doing that for you know uh almost any skilled uh job but in the aerospace engineer, he should be expected to double or triple that amount of money four years uh, into a job. So based on that metric, he made a reasonable debt decision. 
But if you go to to Yale and spend four hundred thousand dollars on a liberal arts, you know, degree, and you find out that the best you could do twenty years into your profession is an eighty thousand dollar salary, you've not made a good choice. Um, so it makes sense. I I am I'm really anti debt, and and Miles, you were just. What you were just talking about, I'm currently reading, listening to a book called uh, The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller of uh, the Keller Williams uh, Real Estate Agents. Uh, and he talks a lot. I mean, all real estate investors that I've ever talked to um, or, or read their books or whatever, they, they talk about the leveraged uh, investment. That's what you're just talking about. You, you borrow money to make an investment. Um, some people borrow money to play the stock market. Some people... Uh, borrow money to you know to go to the the horse track. Um, real estate investors like to borrow money to buy a house, um, and I have I have issues with that. Uh, the The math in my little brain isn't working out, uh, and and this was something I was going to uh, bring up when we get to our financial February. But I just I ran some numbers based on an example he used in the book, uh, and I'll just run through this really quickly. Um, they purchased the, the a property for $100,000 and 10 years later sold it for 165,000. So you made a $65,000 profit in 10 years. Um, Less capital gains tax. Right. Well, that I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to look okay. at just that. Um that is, you know, over 10 years that is just better than inflation. But it is better than inflation, all right? He said he made $1,000 uh, down payment and then a hundred thousand uh, dollar loan. So I'm going to assume that the interest rate was five percent, which is actually historically low. But I'm going to go with it. Uh, so that makes your annual mortgage payment sixty five hundred ish dollars. Your average taxes, I'm assuming one point five percent, which is about a national average. It's about fifteen hundred. Uh, I'm going to assume insurance of about a thousand dollars a year. So that means um, your total expenses a year are $8,900. Over the 10 years that you own that property, you spent $89,000 to make $65,000. And uh, and these these are the st- kind of th- stories I hear all the time. And and I, I understand you could make the assumption that a renter is paying that full $89,000. But that's a big assumption. And and that's why real estate to me seems more like a, a, a gamble than a reality. Well, you know? I'll t- tell you what, we we got financial February coming up. I'm happy to open the kimono. I own 24 rental properties, and we make a significant amount of money. And if you want me to do a well, half-hour I, I, I tutorial, I'd love to. <laughs> I, I accept the the fact that you've got a significant amount of, of positive cash flow. I, that's certainly right. a, a reality. But you also have a significant amount of risk in those loans, and I'm just, I, I'm a little too risk averse, I guess. Most of mine are not loaned. They're freehold. See, that's the way to do it. Pay cash for it. That makes a lot more but sense they, to me. But they started out as loans. So you yeah. take, well, I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to preempt it, but you take the profit that you're making and you put it straight back in against the principal and you eventually own the property. It, it's, it's, you don't want to kill the goose that lays the golden egg. And the bottom line is if I sell one of my properties, I'm killing a goose. Right. I, I like eggs. Right. The buy and hold, I get that. Or the buy and prove and hold. Yeah. I mean, and it's, I a lo- it's a long game. You, right. You've got to be thinking 10, 20 years. You're not thinking five. If you want to do that, be a flipper. Right. Not, you know. And at 45 years old, uh, the long game, you know, I'm looking at financing my retirement, but still working for 20 years in the meantime. Uh, and that's, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's, that's where you are. Uh, 
anyway, I, I was an accidental landlord, right? I moved from Texas to Georgia and couldn't sell my house. So I had a renter. Uh, in my scenario, in the five, oh, four and a half, not quite five years that I was out of that house, I lost about $27,000 uh, in rent uh, to the vacancies and not being able to get a rent that actually covered uh, my expenses. So my my one experience, and again, it, I didn't buy the house at a discount. It wasn't a choice. It was an accident. Uh, but my one experience was a pretty negative one, you know, uh, losing seven plus thousand dollars a year uh, on a rental property. There are different types of rental properties and some yield very, very good positive results and others are liabilities. Um, right. And in knowing which one, it, I didn't make, I, I made the wrong decision on the first rental property I bought. Uh, I made the right decision on the next two, a wrong decision on the one after that. Um, but lo and behold, it works out. Volumes work with this right. business, but eventually you work out a, a formula that you know how to play and you stay loyal to that formula, and that's when you actually make money. Yeah, so that's that's one of the things I want to cover uh, next month is, is uh, this is, the, it really is, in my opinion, the most stable investment because, you know, they're not making any more land. <laughs> there is a finite amount of land, and, and if you can get a piece of it, um, you know, it, like Bitcoin, they're not making any more at, at a, a certain point. So there is, uh, you can guarantee it's going to go up. But, you know, when you look at the numbers, um, real estate uh, appreciation, if you're buying something with the intent for it to appreciate so that you can sell it later, barely matches inflation. Well, yes and no, because the real estate appreciation is only a consistent line over historical averages. You have the run-up to the overvalue, and then you have the crash to the undervalue, and then you have the run-up to the overvalue. So if you're buying during the crash and selling it during the one of the run-ups, even though the historical average of that time is inflation plus 3%, your actual thing is inflation plus 15%. Because you bought at the trough and sold at the peak. Which is the which, same thing as playing the stock market, you know, day trading. It's the same thing. Well, just I, on a longer time scale. Yes and no. It's, you have to be consistent to buy when other people sell. And if you're leveraged when you do it, then you can't be consistent. So it's like, you know, somewhere you take, you took a risk and got, you know, it's like, how do you make a million dollars start with? 500,000 somehow you've got to start with the 500,000 so yeah anyway just uh just a little aside that I, I thought might generate some discussion a little later on um i'm i'm keen to play the game but i can't go into debt to do it it, it will it is against my personal belief system that i have developed over the years every time i've gone into debt it's been a bad thing a hundred percent of the time i've never made a good debt decision um, so, you know, that's just, that's what I'm sticking with. I can understand that. I, I hate debt too, but you know, what do you do? I don't trust banks. That's my thing. Right. So what I need to do is, you know, speculate, turn, somehow turn a hundred thousand into 40,000 and then buy, pay cash for a, a hoopty and, and get, you know, uh, get some, uh, meth heads and rent it. And <laughs> that seems to be the way to go. <laughs> Because you can always rent a three hundred dollar house, and never have any trouble finding a tenant for that one. Um, a a three thousand dollar house that's a little harder to find a tenant for. Yeah, that's true. 
Okay, I I just took us down a wrong road, but that's all right. Um, I wanted to, uh, uh, well, let's just jump straight into it. So what we're uh, talking about this week, the Save the Children, um, is a news story. It's not news anymore. This uh, happened uh, before Christmas, I think, but we just haven't been around to talk about it. December 19 is when this article was written. Um, uh, a, a, a congressman from South Carolina, Representative Bill Chumley, uh, pre-filed a bill. So it's not even, at least in, in December, it hadn't even made it to committee or anything like that yet. But it's an interesting idea. So I'm just going to read this uh, from CNET.com. It's a, it's a couple of paragraph ap- extracts, so I'm going to read it just uh, straight up, and then we'll talk about it. A newly proposed law in South Carolina called the Human Trafficking Prevention Act, because that's a good thing. We all want to prevent human trafficking, uh, would make it illegal to sell a computer without a porn filter unless you pay the state a fee the bill pre-filed this month by state representative bill chumley would require manufacturers or sellers to install digital blocking capabilities on devices to prevent the viewing of obscene content this applies to computers as well as handheld devices that can access the internet sellers can avoid the filter by paying the state a 20 dollars opt-out fee for every device sold Buyers who want to lift the filter after purchasing a device can also pay a $20 fee after they request, in writing, the filter be disabled. Verifying they're 18 years or older and acknowledging the receipt of a written warning about the potential dangers of disabling the blocker. So, you know, just a couple of hoops. Money collected would go toward the Attorney General's Office of Human Tracking uh, Task Force. Trafficking Task Force. Task Force try that again money collected would go toward the attorney general's office of human trafficking task force representative chumley told the local news site goupstate.com that quote human trafficking thing has exploded it's gotten to be a real problem chumley said the effort would combat crimes against children and protect children from exposure to sexually explicit materials the bill has been referred to the house judiciary committee and state legislators will return for a new session in january Ready, go. Go, Miles. Me? Okay. Well, let yeah. us, let's talk about Mr. William M. Chumley, shall we? Who is a 69-year-old incumbent and apparently assumed office in 2011, so an incumbent with, hasn't been there for that long, uh, who apparently represents the uh, South Carolina House of Representatives from the 35th District, and his claim to fame, his uh, previous hits, include um, South Carolina lawmaker Charleston shooting victims waited their turn to be shot, apparently. Uh, And if that one's not good enough, his second uh, great hit was the... uh, uh, In South Carolina, he voted against removal of the Confederate flag. Um yeah, he's got uh, he's got some some ideas out there. I'll give him that, but I just don't see him capturing the millennial vote here. And of course, he knows all about <laughs> technology because he was a landscaping uh, uh, contractor and um, uh, teach taught at a vocational school and was a PTO president as well as a coach for, of little league. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I I don't want to come across like I'm bashing on you know Bill Chumley. That's not yes, my goal do. here. Yeah, I do. No, <laughs> it's just that what, what sort of, I mean, okay, what sort of moron comes up with this idea? I mean, A, it's not something that is going to be 
technically feasible because anyone will be able to bypass it. Second is who wants to give the state your name and be associated as a porn viewer? Um, and then, I mean, how is this going to work when people can go to North Carolina and buy the computer? Or buy it from Newegg and have it shipped from Southern California or get it on Amazon or buy it from Taiwan. How does this guy think that they have any right to influence those sales? And this is just fail all over the place. This is in the epic scale of fail, but uh, go figure. I don't know. Maybe it'll pass. It'll be something for all of us to talk about. But here's the thing. Do you want to be the legislative um, person who said yes to porn? Not I mean, just porn, that, human yeah. trafficking. Yeah, human yeah, but, trafficking. I mean, do you yeah, want to be, is that your claim to fame that you said it's okay to human traffic and you don't want to do anything to stop it? Don't you love I, children? I mean, Miles, <laughs> what kind of person? Are you a pedophile? Are we outing you here on the show? <laughs> no, but here's what is it kind of comical to me, that the Attorney General's Department in the state of South Carolina, and, and trust me, I work with the Attorney General's Department in Arizona, so I, I know a little bit about how that works and their staffing levels and their budgets. I don't think that there, there's a need in South Carolina to have a human trafficking task force in the Attorney General's office. I mean, isn't there more active and invaluable things they should be going after? I mean, it, it, South Carolina, to me, is not the hub of human trafficking. It's not even a border state. So how is that a thing? They keep it that way. Well, yeah, well, let's, let's face it. What it we know is going to happen. Well, okay, yeah. What we're probably going to see here is a money grab that goes into this supposed directed uh, budget and then gets redirected to something else, right, to help pay the 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 deficit in the state or something like that. That's what's going to happen. The Attorney General's office is not going to see a dime of this money, probably doesn't want to know anything about it. This is Chumley taking a whole bunch of buzzwords and trying to push them through a bill that's probably laden with pork anyway. It's so, a $20 tax so on every across electronic <laughs> device sold. That's all it is. It's a $20 well, tax on iPhones, Android phones, and computers. Um, there's no other way to look at this. Yeah. Okay, and that's going to go down really well with Amazon, isn't it? Look how they I fought mean, California over its sales tax. Because let's okay, let's say let's hypothetically this passes, and so if you buy an iPhone from Apple or Newegg, and you have a South Carolina address, they require by law to install some type of you know no porn for you filter, and then so when you get it, the first thing you do is factory reset. Boom. You just, you, you reset it to, you know, or if it's a Windows computer, oh, look at this, system restore. But you can't do that without being a criminal. I mean, yes, it's technically possible, but to do so is criminal because you have not paid the fee and signed the papers and gotten the license for porn. This is a porn license. I I guess what I'm having a hard time equating is the, uh, how porn and human trafficking are associated. I mean, yes, I see it maybe in some cases we've seen association in this area, but really? Well, I, I don't know. I'm not getting that. 
Porn is the gateway action. You know, marijuana is the gateway drug that leads to harder things. Well, porn leads to human trafficking. And studies have shown that a large number of people, whether they be in porn or, you know, Craigslist before the government cracked down on them and then Backpage before the government cracked down on them recently, um, a lot of the models who were being featured were somehow against their will trafficked by boyfriend slash pimp. Um, or I guess it could be girlfriend slash pimp these days. You know, I don't want to discriminate equal opportunity. So yeah, it, it could happen. Um, so that's what that is. And technically that's something different from porn, you know, but this guy doesn't see it that way. He just wants to block all porn. So, you know, you can't, I don't know. You know, you can't look at the statue of, J- of David because that's porn um, or anything else. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It, plus, let's let's talk about the fact that uh, I have not yet seen, anyway, an effective um, filtering device of any kind for a, an Android or iPhone. I mean, maybe they exist, but I've never seen one in the wild. Uh they're they're super easy to to bypass i mean you could uh i guess the only way you could do that would be the owner the distributor of the device because uh you know uh, motorola isn't going to do this so if you're buying if you're selling a motorola phone in south carolina you have to pre-route it and put in uh, a dns capture uh redirector software before you sell the phone that's the only way I could see that you could actually comply with this measure. But or then, a VPN? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Then if you've installed the filter, let, let's say, and then when a something is developed that bypasses your filter, then you're breaking the law because your filter's not compliant to the standards that you met when you released your filter two seconds ago. So who is going to develop this filter, and how are you going to make sure that this filter becomes... Um, unbreakable i'd like to meet the technical advisor to representative chumbly and find out what that person is on is is all about because how on earth do you implement the technology for any of this idea i mean look there's a whole bunch of wrongs here one is a porn human trafficking not sure about that b is this even really something that is enforceable and is it really something where the money is going to the right cause? And then finally, if you're relying on technology to be your uh, security guard to do the work for you, then at least get the technology right. And it's well, wrong. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going by what CNET wrote here. I haven't read the bill. Uh, but if the if this is truly any handheld device that can access the Internet – that means I've got to have a porn filter on my smartwatch. I've got to have a, par- a porn filter on my fitness tracker. I've got to have a porn filter on um, my uh, internet-enabled toothbrush. Um, <laughs> it didn't say that it had to have a display or that it had to be have a web browser. It said any internet-connected handheld device. Uh, well, technically, uh, before I screw in my Hue light bulb, it is in my hand, and it has yeah. internet connectivity. Therefore, it must have a porn filter. Uh, <laughs> I just, um, I, well, what is a computer you know i mean a raspberry pi you're going to get a beagle board with a porn filter installed 
you know, those <laughs> things don't have enough memory to hold much else besides a porn filter. So, um, I, it's just, I don't understand. There's some, the internet of things must have a porn filter before it's deployed in South Carolina. So let, let's just blue sky a little bit, right? What if this passes? What does this set as a precedent to any other state, any other country that want us to do, wants to do something like this? Is this an attempt to kill porn? I mean, is that really the goal here? It's a tax. Well, is it a tax or is it a way of making people feel guilty for watching porn? Because when you pay the $20 tax, you have to give them your name. Right. So now you're on a list. Oh, it also, I'm, I'm, I'm actually reading the bill now. And one of the other things here is that, uh, uh, quote, make reasonable and ongoing efforts to ensure that the digital content block- blocking capacity functions properly. So now you not only do you have to put it on there, you the seller of this Motorola phone, the kiosk in the mall, not only has to install a porn filter, but you got to be responsible for updates and maintenance of the porn filter on every phone that you sell in South Carolina. So my Does data it- cap is being regulated to updating the porn filter that I had to have. Yeah, is you have anything- to. You have so, to include, okay. uh, you have to establish a reporting mechanism such as a website or call center to allow customers to report unblocked, obscene content or report blocked content that is not obscene. You, the seller of the device, are required to do this. <laughs> right. Um, so that, that means that no seller is ever going to do this. They're going to pay the $20 tax, right? Now, this, this stops at the seller because it's impossible for a seller to do this. So we now have just taken the onus completely off of the end user because it'll never get that far. This is a $20 fee for everything you sell because you cannot comply with the requirements. So the only thing you can do is pay $20 to the, to the state. Is there anything in the bill that you're reading? And I realize you probably haven't gone over it in a great deal of detail, but is there anything in there that gives the state the right to, to look into your device to determine whether the blocker is installed or is not installed? I don't see that, no. Because you would think that's kind of something they'd want to do, right? Because then when they're in there, they could also check anything else that they wanted to check. Um, oh, geez, people just say no. Don't let this stuff get through. Throw it out if it does. Come okay. on. A <laughs> business or individual that violates the provisions of this article by manufacturing, distributing, or selling a product that makes content accessible on the internet without the digital content blocking capacity or capability selling the so blah blah. So if it is possible in any way to be uninstalled, even though it wasn't that way, I mean you can't buy a computer and then wipe it and put Linux on it because then you would have removed the capability is a reasonable interpretation of this law. So if this is, this is Microsoft propaganda trying to destroy Linux is what this is. We've uncovered the truth here. Let's resurrect the EDL podcast. If the digital blocking capability blocks content that is not obscene and the block is reported to a call center or reporting website, the content must be unblocked within a reasonable amount of time, but in no event later than five business days after the block is reported. So now you little uh, guy selling phones in a kiosk have to man a call center 
and you have to have a clock on everything that somebody reports on their Motorola smartwatch. This is a joke, isn't it? This has got to be a joke. (laughs) It's not April 1st. It's a couple of months too early. I, I, this is what happens. And I'm sure that, that this governor or excuse me, this, uh, uh, representative, uh, Mr. William B. Bill Chumley, uh, excuse me, William M. Bill Chumley, uh, is a well-meaning individual, but he is a well-meaning and ignorant individual. And this is the problem that we've highlighted on this show so many times that, that when government gets into making laws about technology, they invariably have no idea what they're talking about. And so they're trying to push laws into things. This can't, this is not possible. This is unenforceable and impossible. Um, but the well-meaning Republican uh, representative pushed it through because he doesn't like porn. But he has no idea what he's just said. My remote control, my Harmony uh, Logitech Harmony remote control accesses the internet and has a display. Therefore, it must have a porn filter on it. Now, Mark, you're probably being too hard on him. He probably used Windows 3.1 at some point in his life. <laughs> so I'm sure he has some technical acumen there. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm sure Little League coach and PTO president really prepared him for this uh, technological task of understanding the deep uh, ramifications of, of this bill. But he holds six U.S. patents and two trademarks. True, and they could be for you know watch winders. We don't know. It's interesting. You do you do bring up a good point. I mean, I don't want to take one story and kind of blow it out into a larger issue, but we do. It, well, we do. Okay, this illustrates the issue of potentially, and I, you know, I don't I don't like to put everyone into a, an age demographic demographic category, but. Our, our legislators, our governors, our leaders, for the most part, were not raised with the internet. They do not understand technology. They do not understand what a day in the life on social media really looks like. They don't understand the expectations and, and requirements that all of us have to go through to do ba- banking or book a plane ticket or, you know, communicate with our friends Somehow they've, there's so many instances of them not being associated with technology that it scares me when they're in a position of power where they can regulate it. Um, it it's just not really appropriate. And the only time that we see a, a sense of sanity at prevailing is when somebody at least has the, the gumption to reach out to the technical community and ask for advice from all, all facets. So it's a reasonable level before making a decision on how they want to regulate or change something which already is in existence. And this problem, it's not, we're not, you know, the first of it. This problem's been going around since the dawn of time. Invention and technology has always been years ahead of law and certainly years ahead of government. But we're, I don't know, maybe we're just coming to a point where the technology that we're starting to, we we thought of as being new and, and cool like, smartphones and and things like iPods even, that stuff's old and dated now and they're still not yet in a position where they've got regulation around this stuff. So while we move forward into robots and AI and augmented reality and all the new things that are coming along down the line, they still haven't worked out how to regulate an iPhone. 
And the FBI don't even, you know, have rules about getting into it or whether they can. So and they're still, stu- still working out the copyright ramifications of copying your LPs to cassette. That's right. still something that's being discussed. Yeah, um, this is 2000, well, this would be 1997 issues on copyright they're still discussing. The iPhone was a 2007 device. They're still, it's 10 years later, people. Come on, if we couldn't have worked it out by now, I mean, we've forgotten all about that. We're on to the next thing. We don't, we don't care anymore. You can regulate as much as you want, but please do it with some sort of a sense of what damage you're going to do to everything else around it. Uh, apparently, uh, there's, a, there's what I'm calling the Facebook exemption in this bill. The digital blocking capability may not filter social media websites that are primarily used for social interaction if these websites have a reporting center and remain reasonably proactive in removing reported obscene content. So not only do you have to have a, a porn filter, but you have to have a selective porn filter in your device that is, is struggling to eke out every bit of RAM it can already. Malware. That's all I can say. Yeah. Malware. It's it's going to be it's going to be malwritten for sure. Yeah. Um this <laughs> did I mention that I recently watched Idiocracy? Um <laughs> this is the kind of crap that uh you would expect to happen uh in a dystopian future. Really. This this is right out of a you know, a Kavka novel. Yeah. Okay. I, I guess we've beaten that horse until it is well and truly dead. Um, we only well, live in hope that this thing dies a natural death. I can't see this ever getting out of committee. I really can't. I mean, anybody on the committee that has a 12-year-old grandson um, can talk to them and find out that this is unenforceable and stupid. Okay, so what I've done while y'all are talking is I have reached out and sent an email to Representative William Chumley. Uh, <laughs> And, and some wonk from his office man, will respond Seth. to you in three to five days. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, hey, I just, I told him we were discussing the proposed act on our podcast, and we would love to have him come on and discuss it because we don't understand how it would be enforced. Yes. And somebody in his office is going to have to tell him what a podcast is. <laughs> you know, I mean, I I would love to, I would, I mean, because, okay, I'm looking at his personal information I probably, I probably, his beliefs and mine are probably very close. He is a deacon in a Baptist church. Um, you know, he's, he loves, he's co-founder of a historical society. Um, he's a teacher, so he has a background in education. So he's a coach of a little league team. So he cares about children. So his heart is in the right place, but I don't, you know, his heart is pull. He, he, he doesn't seem to be. You know, I mean, okay, I host a podcast and I have several social media accounts and I don't even understand what a <laughs> typical day in the life of social media is is like. So it would I would just I mean, because we're razzing him here about how he's out of his depth in this, but I, w- I would just I would love to hear him come on and have a serious discussion about it because it does I can't take this bill seriously. Maybe there's something I don't understand about it. So anyway. Might come to nothing, but I've sent the invitation, and you know we'll we'll see. Whoa, <laughs> you better interview him because you know I I should be pushed in the back here and chained up or something when he comes on. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. I I do know we have 
listeners in South Carolina. So while we are not constituents, we represent his consist- constituents, consti- those people. Because right. uh, we, we have heard from, from we have frequent contributors who are from that state. Um, great, Seth. Uh, I, I, I have no inkling that this will ever go anywhere, but good on you for trying. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I would love, I would love, I would love to have him on. I just, you know, it's one of those things when you were uh, when you were doing the Taiwan Tech, y'all reached out to all these right. really famous and te- technical titans, you know, and they came on your show. So it's like maybe we can get some, you know, maybe we can be the podcast for South Carolina legislature or something. We we could get every listener to the show to contact him and urge him to come on our podcast. Yeah, so if, if we you're get, in if South you Carolina, like a hundred of these things, he maybe will take note. If you're in Representative Bill Chumley's district, you know, contact him and ask him to be on our show for a serious discussion about this. I know we've kind of tongue in cheek talked about it, but I would love to have a serious discussion because we all agree. That you know, exploitation of children is wrong, uh, and we would love to see it stopped. I just don't think this bill could do it. So, I you know, we all share similar morals, um, but I think this would be an interesting conversation from a perspective that you know I've only ever mocked and haven't <laughs> ever had to exercise. So, <laughs> anyway, I just you know that's coming up next week. <laughs> It's on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> <laughs> and we can certainly treat uh, the representative with, with respect and dignity. Um, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> we could. I mean, you know, we could. Uh, all right. I'll so try. Sticking with the theme of porn, a Microsoft workers, uh, one in particular, are suing Microsoft for making them watch porn. Yes. Um, so... Um, there's a, a couple of employees, actually, um, Henry Soto and Greg Blart. I, you know, I can't say regular English words, much less weird English names. So they have filed a lawsuit against Microsoft because part of their job is they were forced to look at photos and videos allegedly violating the company's terms, including things like uh, child porn, bestiality, murders, and sexual assault. They were part of a team that, like, for example... You know, um, they wouldn't look on YouTube. I'm trying to think of what site Microsoft owns that anybody would do this. But, um, you know, for example, if you were a Google employee and somebody flagged a YouTube video has, you know, there's a person cutting off somebody's head and eating their toenails or something sick like that, then you would have to watch this video and make sure it wasn't flagged incorrectly. And so they were... Kind of, even though Microsoft has a team in place to do this, they were kind of assigned to a team doing that responsibilities, but kind of without that pay and training. And they're, um, they would go to their manager and say, hey, this is rough. It's causing issues and stuff like this. Um, and they basically ended up suffering from PTSD, so they claim. And they tried to get psychiatric help through the company company basically gave them to a wellness program part of the things the wellness program did was said hey you should play video games to calm down at work so but when they did that they got in trouble by their supervisor for playing games at work so they realized that it needs to be done but the team that was assigned to do it 
wasn't adequately trained or prepared that that's what they were going to be doing. And they thought it was wrong and their efforts to um, seek relief within the organization were never met. So they're turning outside the organization and filing a lawsuit. Yeah, so a quote from a, uh, a legal document says uh, that their job involved watching, quote, horrible brutality, murder, indescribable sexual assaults, videos of humans dying, and in general, videos and photographs designed to entertain the most twisted and sick-minded people in the world. Um, this, I get that this has to happen. Um, you can flag something electronically as potentially offensive, but then a human has to decide whether or not it violates the terms of service. Uh, that's a terrible job that I wouldn't want, but I understand that that job has to happen. Uh, the The issue here is that these people were not informed. That's what the job was, probably because they wouldn't have taken it, and then not given um, the the required assistance when they realized they couldn't do this job. But see, and it's kind of like it's the job of the digital crimes unit, but they weren't on the digital crimes unit. They were on the online safety team, which is apparently kind of, I don't know, junior league or something, but they were doing the digital crimes unit um, responsibilities. So it's sort of like, you know, you hire the junior programmer and pay him the junior level salary, but you demand the senior programmer levels work. So that's kind of what was happening here. And you, you, you do senior level work, but you only get junior level perks, which is, you know, we allow you to live or something. So Miles, what's your take on this? Well, it's got lots of different angles to it, doesn't it? The the first one that strikes me is that giving the role to an independent company like Microsoft to uh, survey this stuff when it might be better served by law enforcement. But the problem with law enforcement is that they have regional limitations. So, you know, local would not be able to work with content that comes out of I don't know, Taiwan or something. And even, and, and the law enforcement doesn't have the resources. So in the end, nothing would happen. So Microsoft, it falls back to them again. And they say, well, we've got to take care of this stuff if we want to try and do the right thing by our customers. Well, if you're going to do that, then just like law enforcement, military, forensic investigation, there are proper psychological qualifications and procedures that uh, interviewees, employees, and so on, will go through to determine whether they would be a suitable fit for this. Um, I'm not sure I like you. The I, I don't like how the buzzword of you know anxiety is PTSD these days. Um, as somebody who used to work with military people, I kind of find that offensive because I know what military people have to go through and what PTSD really would look like from their perspective. However, having said that, I'm not in the shoes of the person who's watching that horrible video, and I, you know, maybe that's just a lack of a term to try to describe their suffering from watching it. Um, but I don't think it's PTSD. I think well, that's here, a lawyer a, trying to use here's, it. Here's a quote from the article, and, uh, you know, so if you can't trust an article on the Internet, um, Soto gradually st- started suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder with sleep disturbance and nightmares with the suit pointing out that he suffered auditory hallucinations after watching abuse and murder of a child. I know that would cause me some issues because you're watching it and it's not like, you know, you're there and have a chance to stop them. It's this already happened and you, and you're watching it. So 
I, I don't know that that would mess somebody up. It, no, it would mess somebody up. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the wrong people for the job, right? I mean, they picked the wrong people for the job. They should have had a better way of vetting and uh, interviewing, which would be more appropriate, or maybe a, a training process like law enforcement would go through or forensic investigators would go through. I mean, you like crime scene investigators have to go through all of this stuff all the time, but they're properly, you know, set up and they're trained and they know what they're getting into. Um, and I don't know if they call it PTSD with the stuff they have to see every day, possibly. Uh, but they're seeing it in real life. These guys are seeing it on a video on the, on the internet. That doesn't mean that it won't have a negative effect on them psychologically. I'm not a psychologist. Uh, but I just think that Microsoft failed to put forward the appropriate checks and balances on who they put into that job. And I, I also feel sorry for Microsoft in that they have to do this because we don't have a legal system that can enforce it just because the internet is inter as in international. Um, you know, you can't expect to get Interpol to sit in there and do it. So Microsoft have to, uh, that's sad, but so, I, I followed a link uh, to the Daily Beast, which is where CNET got, uh, or the original, I forgot, I've already forgotten where it was. Uh, the, the issue with finding things on the internet is one one person writes a story, other people write a wrapper around that story and post it, and then write a wrapper around that. Uh, I can't actually find the original, but, but here's uh, a little more information. It says, years into their work, so this didn't happen overnight. The lawsuit says, doctors recommended medical leave for both men who were diagnosed with PTSD. Before he left the company, Soto tried transferring to another department, was, was allegedly seated near the online safety team where people still approached him with questions on traumatizing material. Blart uh, hoped to return to Microsoft after his leave, but has required continued treatment for PS, PTSD and purposely restricts his computer usage, the suit alleges. So according to the lawsuit, their doctors did diagnose them with PTSD. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand. I think it's a, a terminology thing. They yeah. probably have some precedents in law to use. So it's just really hard when you know that you, you know, you've got soldiers out there who have been sh- shot at or have had to kill other people. And I think of that as PTSD. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I just qualify it differently. Well, I mean, there is a, the, the diagnostic and statistical manual gives specific, um, criterion for any disorder and and if you meet those criteria then you're you know you get labeled with it but anyway the, the point is um th- this is this is negative all the way around the fact that this content exists is is a blot on humanity the fact that microsoft has to hire people to view this stuff because they don't want it on their servers right so i understand their reasoning uh, that's that's a negative. The fact that they didn't understand, the, the fact that the, these people had to do this for years, I mean, that should be a short-term rotation, I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, or find an, uh, a retired cop who, you know, has, has uh, seen, uh, you know, a crime scene investigator who's seen everything you can see uh, and, and farm the job out to somebody who has the skills to cope with it, not just some guy that you're, quote, promoting into the worst job of his life. Um, this This was just ill-managed again based on the limited information we have here all the way around but also it's a tough job that somebody has to do yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to be in the shoes of Microsoft having to do it. Um, I wouldn't want to be in the shoes of the person they employ to have to do it. Um, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, this goes down far worse than, uh, what was that dirty jobs TV show? This one, this one's right out of there. Yep. Um, yeah, and, I don't, and another, I don't want to do this one. Another disturbing quote from this. Um, I'm quoting again, the daily beast.com says, quote, members of Microsoft's online safety team had quote, godlike status. Former employees, employees Henry Soto and Greg Blewett uh, allege in a lawsuit filed on December 30th, they could, quote, literally view any customer's communications at any time. Okay, there's a red flag. Uh, you know, you privacy experts or, or nuts, you know, I mean, we just had a conversation last year, uh, last week about the importance of privacy. There, this, there's a group of people who have the ability to see anything you send across a Microsoft server. This is not news to anybody. We all, you know, intellectually knew that that was there, but this is confirmation of, of that reality. If you send your stuff across somebody else's wire, they constitutionally, legally, and morally have the, the right and ability to look at that. So if you're, you know, if you're Skyping with your go- girlfriend and getting nasty, somebody at Microsoft is very likely watching that. Yeah, and Google, because you know, right. and I whatever ISP. So lot lots of people are watching you, and the NSA. That too, <laughs> I mean that's that's why they want to tap into those locations because it's a rich uh, trove of data, right? But the the thing this is interesting though because the one thing that comes out of this is the power of the corporation versus the power of government. And in this particular case, because government did not have the power to be able to police the interwebs, the corporation did. And does this does this move us towards a a, a, a dystopia where corporations overthrow governments, or am I stretching that way too much? Well, you know, being the uh, libertarian-minded person that I am, I actually see this as a good thing in that Microsoft is responsible for cleaning up its own mess before the government comes in and does it for them. I mean, I think that is an appropriate restraint on the part of government authority. Yeah, I I don't have a problem with this one uh, deep down. I mean, I don't have a problem with it, but... As long as, you know, it does get a little scary when you see the level of power these guys had to look over anything that anybody's communicating. When I was a network admin, I used to tell uh, my users, uh, you need to know two things. Like a new employee in uh, indoctrinization, not the indo- uh, what's the word, uh, uh, training, uh, indoctrinization. It's probably that too. Um, the, the One of the first things I would tell them is you need to know that anything you do on any computer any email you send, any phone call you make on our voice over IP system, I can access. Just know that going in. I can do that. You also need to know I have much better things to do with my life than snoop on you. But you, you need to make a decision now, the day you start working, to, to not do anything on any of our computers, on any of our networks, using any of our technology that you don't want me to see because I can do it. Um, and I think that People, you know, sign up for services, Google Hangouts, Skype, uh, uh, Snapchat, whatever, um, and they don't, they don't get that lecture. 
you know, maybe in the terms of service that we didn't agree, didn't uh, read, but we read, check the button that said that we read. Um, but people need to understand that anything they do on technology that they don't directly own and control is something somebody else can and will see. Yeah. Well, if, you know, to go back to this TV show, Hunted, if you guys get to watch this thing, it will freak you out because you will get to see the power that they have, that the state has to monitor all your forms of communication and everything about it, and it will freak you out. It's a really scary statement, and it's real, but it is what we've signed up for. So we have, you know, we only have ourselves to blame for signing up for it, but it's our constant quest for that gadget, that new technology that we uh, that we have to take on. So it's okay. You know, it's uh, interestingly, uh, you were talking about corporations taking over. That is one of the, uh, I'm not going to say a plot point. That's one of the 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 universe realities in the uh, um, dark matter. TV series that I was just talking about. They, it is a future. I don't even know if it's future. It is a world in which uh, corporations are more powerful than the government, uh, and and that's just accepted. And that wars are fought not by uh, governmental powers but by corporate powers. Um, that, that's a theme in a lot of sci-fi, isn't it? Right. So many th- uh, movies and stories assume that, and I know that science fiction often defines future. Yeah, it's kind of freaky. I don't. I don't want to do another news story. I feel dirty. I want to. I want to take a shower. Um, <laughs> Seth, we, I know you lost. We lost you for a little bit, so you're not sure the context of our discussion. But is there anything more you wanted to say about this story? No. I mean, you know, it's it's a rough life and a dirty job. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I and I mean that's trite, but yeah. I, I, I mean, the the solution to this problem is that this content ceases to exist. Yeah. Right. Or if there's some type of filter you can place on a device <laughs> that makes sure you can't access it. Where's Representative Chumley when you need him? So. Well, apparently he needs to, uh, you know, have a talk with Microsoft. <laughs> oh, man. I just lost my connection there anyway. Uh, I'll I'll continue to play with that uh, in a little bit. So, uh, Seth, uh, bring us out of the doldrums here. Tell us something interesting that happened this week in history. Okay. Uh, January 15th, 1968, Ralph Baer, B-A-E-R, generally considered the father of the video game industry, applies for a patent on a TV game system he designed. This patent eventually leads to the Magnavox Odyssey. The first home video game machine, Ralph Beer, is also well known for many other products such as the electronic game Simon. That happened this week in history in 1968. Back to you, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) I am not familiar with the Odyssey, uh, but I have heard the name. Uh, I think it came before the Intellivision, right? Um, uh, Let's see what strangers on the internet have to say. The Magnavox Odyssey was the first commercial home video game console developed by a small team led by Ralph H. Baer in the United States in September 1972 and overseas in the following year. I'm looking at this picture. I don't think I've ever seen that box. um, Anyway, it's a thing. Yeah. 1972. I was born that year. I didn't know video games were around then. 
Well, they were, but you know, they weren't, and it wasn't so much video games. It was more, they were kind of electronic games. I mean, technically they were video games, but it's sort of like, I don't know. They, you know, they made, um, Pong look advanced, right? So. It was a home game system. Yeah. Not so much video games, just games you play at home, like Monopoly. Uh, anyway. Stuff like tic-tac-toe, electronic, things like that as well. So, And so he, he made the game Simon, which, you know, was the, the colored, the four colored things and the tones. Uh, I love that game. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, that one. I, I just played it recently. There was like somebody had a keychain version of it. And... Uh, I was like a little kid playing in it while the adults talked. I was playing with the game. Um, anyway, uh, I got nothing more to say about that. Uh, so this is the part of the show where I will tell you how you can feed back to us. If you'd like to be like Will uh, or like uh, the other people who sent me email and that I didn't bother to put in the show. Sorry, I'll do better. Uh, you can go to elementop.com. Click the contact us button at the top of the page. That's element. Opie, element as in the periodic table of elements. Opie as in Opie Taylor, or more recently, Opie from Sons of Anarchy. Um, and uh, fill out the world's hardest CAPTCHA. Answer the question like, what part of the body are gloves worn, worn on? And uh, then fill out the form, and that will go into my in-basket where it gets priority. And um, we will read it on the show eventually when I remember to put it on there. You can also call, uh, dial 559-IAM-OPIE. We haven't had a voicemail in quite some time. Um, if you have sent me a voicemail and we haven't pointed it out of the air, send me an email. Maybe that system's broken and I'm not getting notifications. That's a possibility. Um, but we just haven't had one of those for a while. And we like to have, have audio commentary from our audience as well. So, uh, we, we appreciate when you do, we hope that, uh, that 2017 can be the year of listener feedback. We want to have more listener feedback this year than ever before. I just made that up, but sure. Why not? Um, and not now, a high bar, unfortunately. Um, and now for seth's show closing spectacular we have to uh, i can't believe we didn't bother to even mention it earlier in the show uh but there is a a a, we celebrate a man this week go seth yes in honor of uh america has designated the federal government has designated this coming monday so two days ago as the recording of the show is martin luther king day and in honor of that and just in honor, this this election, just come on, people. We can do better. Come on. <laughs> I mean, to quote Peter Giffen, family guy, come on. Um, <laughs> sorry. Not really should be using the same breath as Dr. King. But I have linked here the I Have a Dream audio speech from the AmericanRhetoric.com website. Um, it does use Flash. If you're in a um, Flash-killing device or browser there you can find it on other places as well but um this is the audio text to i have a dream or the audio version and i mean we've got a long way to go and we can do better let's do better yeah uh and but i will also add my uh optimistic viewpoint that many points of his dream have been realized um You know, where he says, I, I have a dream of a day when black children and white children will play together. Uh, I watch that happen every day. And, right. and I often think, you know, this, this, this thing that I'm watching um, that is so regular and so common was unheard of to the point of being a dream uh, just a generation ago. 
uh, and it both makes me happy and sad, uh, happy that we've gone so far, uh, uh, sad that we had to go anywhere. This should have been the way things have always been. Right. Um, my, uh, my youngest, uh, who is eight, we were, you know, they did a unit at school on Dr. King and, and she came, uh, and said, Dr. King was the man that ended segregation. Uh, well, no, we need to, we need to, I, I understand that they probably broke that down very simply for you because you're eight, but let's have a talk about what he actually did. He inspired people. He led people. Um, but he didn't, you know, he didn't write any laws. He didn't break any chains. Um, let's, let's have, let's respect him for what he was and what he did without lionizing for him for what he didn't. Um, he was a great man, a great leader, um, a great, uh, inspiration to many. And, uh, you know, I'll just I'll just go there. I wonder who the I mean, who today would be like? Well, people have been Dr. trying to King. fill that mantle since the day he was killed, and and I don't know that anybody ever has. I mean, Jesse Jackson certainly wanted to be, but mm-hmm. never came close. Al Sharpton wants to be. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a hard one, isn't it? We have such positive views of dr king and and history and then when you try and parallel up anybody in current form and today uh who may have similar goals ambitions and and public speaking and so on they just don't come across anywhere near as effective well and maybe three middle-aged white guys isn't the person to ask that question to yeah let's let's be honest i mean and also they're called sellout by whichever party they're on that reached across the aisle. I mean, Steve Harvey met with Donald Trump and was lambasted by the other side, you know, or your side, whichever side you're on, because he didn't, for one, because he met him. And then two, he didn't criticize him. You know, he's like, hey, this sounds like somebody who really wants to help. And I want to help people who want to help make the world a better place. So, we are so, you know, the thing that made this country great was people realize that what is best for you personally might not be what is best for the country. And what is best for the country is ultimately best for you personally. You know, all the compromises that led to the Constitution and the great nation we have here now, the the mantra of the other side is win an election and campaign harder. That's, you know, Barack Obama famously said, well, if you, you know, if you need to win the election and then now Republicans are saying, well, the Democrats need to campaign harder. That's just, we can do better. And I, I yeah. want to be a part of a country that does better. When, when I listen to this speech, when I, um, read Dr. King's writings, when I, when I, um, delve into the man as much as I can, somebody who died 40 years before I was born, um, uh, well, 30, uh, I, the one word that I come away with is dignity and that's what's lacking in all those who've tried to fill his shoes afterward. Nobody in my estimation has reached the level of his dignity and that's what gave him his power. Yeah. Cause I mean, and unfortunately dignity isn't rewarded now. Sound bites and explosive rhetoric is what is rewarded now. So and and that's an indictment on our generation. Absolutely, we uh, we we see dignity as weakness. Yep. 
Well, I tried to end us on a positive note, and then I drug us right back down into negativity. <laughs> Apparently, 2017 is the year of negative mark. I apologize for that. Um, we hope that uh, that you have a dream for the future and that you are making daily progress toward that dream. A dream doesn't mean anything until you put feet and hands to it. So go go and put fan, hands and feet to your dream. If that dream is to be a millionaire real estate investor or that dream is to be uh, a president or that dream is to be an inventor, whatever it is, go put some hands and feet to it. Uh, because as long as it's a dream, it, not, it won't do anybody any good. Hmm. Well, well said. Right. All right. I went positive. So now let's end it. Thanks for, for guys for, for hanging out with me. I, I, I'll be honest with you. Coming up to this show every week, I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to podcast again. I don't want to do it. And then I get here and I love every second of it. Um, it's just the, the, the work <laughs> that goes into it after the fact and the, the scheduling and all that. Uh, I always, I, I, I'm like, I've done this for so many years. I'm tired of it. But when I get here, when I get behind the Mac and when I'm, when I'm interacting with you great, uh, minds, um, all of that negativity goes away. All that, uh, burnout goes away and I'm energized and happy to be here. So, uh, I look forward to many more years of dreading doing this until I enjoy doing it. Um, <laughs> right. Right on. <laughs> and you, the listener, I hope that same thing as you, you know, I hope that you don't look it in your feed and go, oh, not another one. Uh, but I really hope that you enjoy what we do uh, and that you enjoy it enough to tell other people about it. That really is the best way you could do help us. Um, there's still a large percentage of the world out there who says, what's a podcast? Uh, but there are a lot, there are people out there who know what podcasts are right now and they know three or four podcasters and they think that is podcasting. Um, do us a favor and go be our advocate and be our evangelist and say, these guys are a little goofy, but I like them and uh, tell them why you like us. Um, okay. Tell them why you don't like us too. But, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, we are now, you know, an hour and a half almost into this thing. If you're still with me, I have to assume you like me. So tell people why you like me and then go to whatever, uh, wherever you downloaded our show, uh, go leave us a rating and review and tell other people why you like me. That would be helpful. Uh, second to that, throw money at me. And you can go to our website and find ways to do that. Uh, but uh, I also want to make one more plug for the Castback app. I haven't uh, haven't plugged it in a long time. Um, it's come a long way. It was updated just this week. Caser uh, is is doing good work on that. And if you don't know what it is, um, just a quick summary: it is a way that you can feedback in real time, but um, asynchronously. And that's a that's a neat trick. So that you could be real time weeks after an event. So you can leave a a comment, you can text uh, as uh, as you're listening to our show, and then anybody else listening to that show will get a notification of your text and be able to reply in line with what you said while the show is playing. So we can have a running dialogue, a discussion, sometimes weeks or months or years after the discussion happened. And that's super exciting to me, and it's a way to bring the community together. It's on currently only on Android um, I don't think we have a huge iPhone audience here, but uh, go check it out. There's a free version and a paid version. The only difference between the two is that you pay for the paid version just to support the guy. So check it out. It's the Castback, C-A-S-T-B-A-C-K app. Podcast, feedback, Castback. So that's my commercial, and uh, we'll see you next week, everybody, because that's it for this episode of The Geek Rant. Geek Rant.